Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Trevor Sikama. With me as... Oh, wait. Wait. <laughs> it's not a with me as always is Benjamin Solak because Ben, as of right now, is a married man. Legally mm. recognized in the United States of America. Ben had his wedding this weekend. I was there. About the only thing in the world I could think of that could drag my ass to Detroit, Michigan in the middle of January, but damn it, he did the dang thing. Ben is now married. He is on his honeymoon this week. Sorry we couldn't get you a podcast on Friday. We were dealing with Senior Bowl stuff, and then Ben had his wedding things he had to attend to, but it was all worth it because it was a wonderful ceremony. It was a wonderful reception. Ben is now happily married, but the podcast still goes on. So to join me, at least to start this week, I thought to myself, hmm, since myself and Michael Kist now don't have co-hosts for the week, why don't we just be each other's co-hosts? Whoa. I feel like that was the logical conclusion to come to. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Kist is a near and dear internet and real life friend of mine. Mike and uh, Mike actually lives like 30 minutes away from me. But the only times I feel like I ever see him have to do with either draft events like the Shrine Game or the Senior Bowl. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But he is a very good friend of mine. He's an awesome Twitter follow. He mainly covers the Eagles, which um, for some of you listening to this podcast is joyous. Others of you probably hate the Eagles. So sorry about that. But Michael's going to make it up to you because he's an awesome Twitter follow. He's a great analyst. He's an awesome podcast host. Michael. Thank you so much for joining me in our co-host's ignorant absence, leaving us out to dry. How else are we supposed to get this content out, dude? Yeah, this is this is crazy for him to have a wedding senior bowl week like right after. I mean, it, it's it's absurd. And I would have gone to the wedding if, if it not had been for the travel and everything that was going on. You got St. Pete, you're going to Mobile, Alabama and whatnot. Dude. I almost, by the way, I probably would have expired. I would have died trying to drive up there for that wedding because I almost died coming back to Florida because I drove up there and I, and I realized I was so dehydrated on the way back and I didn't realize I was dehydrated, but I'm driving back and all of a sudden I hit traffic and I'm like, man, I am, I am lightheaded. I am disoriented. I know I'm not like, you know, under the influence or anything like that. I don't have a hangover. What's going on with me. This goes on for about 30 minutes. My (laughs) fingers are tingling. My feet are tingling. Like I've got this real bad feeling. I can't concentrate. We were stopped. I was trying to look at a tweet and I couldn't process what the tweet was saying. So I was like, dude, I was dire straits. And then I realized, Hey, idiot, You've been drinking like nonstop for the past like four <laughs> days, brother. Why don't you grab that water bottle to your right? <laughs> you know, chug, chug that thing, and I guarantee you're going to feel better. And that's what it was. I was just body. dehydrated. But the I, body I was wasn't very, worth it. yeah, very close to, to blacking out on the highway on the way back to Florida. So I'm glad to be here with you. Very glad you didn't, because if you didn't, then uh, Ben's ignorance of hanging us out to dry would have been uh, even more dire because I wouldn't have had right. anybody to put on this podcast. That's the main concern right there. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Not not family, wife, kids. No, I don't care. Brother, we're trying to get this content out. That's what I was. That was what I would have mainly been worried about. But Michael alluded to it a little bit there. I'm very excited to have him on the podcast because he and I were both in Mobile, Alabama. We talked a lot of Senior Bowl stuff as it was unfolding last week, but missed Friday's podcast. Ben and I actually tried to record the podcast twice in our hotel room. 
and Ben's recording equipment screwed up both times and wasted an hour and a half of our lives. And I told Typical him, ben. nope, not doing it again. The good people are going to have to wait until Monday. So here we are. It's Monday. And really, they get a treat because you're here. But I wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about the Senior Bowl. Because even though we didn't get to do a little recap show, now I get to ask somebody else's perspective. Because as you and I have talked about before, you can look at the same prospect, do the same thing, and sometimes have two different opinions of the matter. So, with that being said, Michael, wanted to open up the floor to you. Offensive side of the football. You can go north or south team. Who was a guy or maybe a couple of guys that you really just watched throughout the week and either surprised you, lived up to your expectations, whatever it was stood out to you in a really big way from Mobile, Alabama? Yeah, I think the big story is on on the south side from Justin Herbert, who entered the week. And, you know, you'd say the senior bowl, you, you can't hurt your stock or anything like that. Well, tell Steven Montez that because, <laughs> uh, brother, that, that guy looked like a lost puppy. But Justin Herbert came in and very quietly had a very – very solid week, slinging the pill out there, mm-hmm. did what he needed to do to kind of solidify himself as a top 10, top 15 type prospect. I think he's a first round lock for sure at this point. And he did everything that I wanted to see from him. And I, I really wasn't surprised by it. Like, this is where he was going to thrive. So that's great. He checked that box. I'm sure, you know, he did well in the interviews. We'll, we'll see. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But right. Herbert was a guy with a lot on the line and really acquitted himself well. It didn't crap himself. So I'm happy for him. Uh, on the south side as well, somebody he was throwing to all week. Uh, can we talk about I think Van Jefferson yes. from Florida? Get a great. The wide receiver. Get a great. Everybody's talking about Denzel Mims. And look. It's been on several podcasts, I'm sure, on your network, on my network as well. Everyone throughout the week has been praising Denzel Mims, the the Baylor wide receiver, who showed really, really well, like no doubt, and made himself some money in a loaded wide receiver class. Very important, very competitive. But Van Jefferson from Florida, from day one, I remember they were setting up the the cone drills and whatnot, and they had certain guys going through these different deals where you got to cut and everything like that. And I'm watching Devin DuVernay from Texas, and I'm thinking, man, I, I can't get over the stiffness despite how explosive he is. And, I, and I'm watching these taller guys go through. I'm like, they're really struggling. And then I see Van Jefferson attack these cones and Fire. then attack the routes throughout the week. And his attention to detail like that. It, he's not the most explosive player or anything like that. Like it, he was one that sent me back to the film during the week. One morning I put on Van Jefferson against LSU because they got really good corners out there. And brother, he was doing the same thing on film on that than he was throughout the week. Like the slant releases, and he had he had he had a full toolbox. And I remember this story that I was talking with this guy who who has been doing this for a while. And he says, you know, I, I asked one of the wide receivers, you know, what do you do? Uh, you got a 15-yard dig, and you got inside leverage with the quarterback. And a couple of the wide receivers gave him real generic answers, like that's that's not a plan, brother. You're just bigger than the guy. But Van, you know, had an answer. It was like, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and blah, blah. it was the most detailed answer that he got. So Van Jefferson, you know, has a plan when releasing, and I think, you know. A guy like that, when he comes into the National Football League, and you know I'm serious right now because I didn't use the acronym. I said National Football League. When he gets to the National Football League, Van Jefferson's going to be a high-floor prospect because he's got a lot of these things that a lot of these other guys need to figure out. He's got it figured out. So I thought he showed really well in Mobile. Yeah, Van, former coach's son, right? I mean, he's just growing up around the game. He's older, no doubt about it. I think he's going to be 24 when he takes his first snap next year, but – Right. When you have a lot of years on some of these guys, you want your experience to show, right? I mean, because like that's the whole thing. People can go like, "Oh, wow, he's going to be he's going to be an older rookie." Well, okay. Mm-hmm. That matters 
if he's a project, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if he already shows the nuance and the experience in his game, right? Because then you just have the finished product. You're just opening up the microwave. You're getting your food yep. out and you're eating it. That's all it is. That, you know, are you we, okay with he who he is right now? If you are, it's not a concern. Right. That's the thing. People make so big a deal out of age and they forget to put the context to it of why age matters. It's not just, wow, this guy's 24 years old. He's old. Uh, okay. Well, a lot of NFL players eventually turn 24 years old. It's where you think they are in terms of their progression and their ceiling, right? Van Jefferson, you alluded to it there. He doesn't have the greatest long speed. He really doesn't. He's he's not going to be a burner down the field. You know, he's not a guy that's really going to change too much now. He's a player who, when I look at him as a prospect, I'm, I'm not saying he can't get better. I certainly do. But he's one of those players who has a really high floor, and has a somewhat lower ceiling that he's pretty close to. So Mm -hmm. if you take that into consideration, the age part, I I could not care less about. I could not care less about Van Jefferson being 24 when next season starts in the NFL because what I'm getting from him now on a baseline, I can throw out there on all 32 NFL teams, and he could cook somebody. He can cook cornerbacks, he can be successful, and he wins in ways like you just said there that a lot of corners just aren't ready for, especially those younger corners. He knows how to attack with a plan. He comes from a coach's background. He knows how to prepare. He knows how to be a pro. He's been doing it for a while, and his skills are very refined. He knows how to separate with his feet. He's got a diverse route tree. He's very nuanced in the way that he attacks the football. All of these things play into Van Jefferson's game. Now, is the ceiling going to be as high as it is for Jerry Judy? C.D. Lamb, Henry Ruggs, no, of course not. But for what you were going to draft Van Jefferson for, folks, he's already that. So mm. don't, I'm just, I, I went on a little bit of a rant there, but I'm just saying, it. you know, a lot of people bring in age to this prospect thing. It only matters if you're old and raw. That's when it matters. That's when you get some of these grad transfer fifth-year guys who play for these smaller schools who you go, okay, he needs some work, he's, but, he's, but he's already 24 years old. Because then you're saying, okay, you give him two years maybe, three years to hit his peak. At that point, they're 27, right? That's when it matters. But Van Jefferson, on the other hand, you're getting what you want out of Van right away. You're getting him right away. It's 24. You hope all yeah. rookies pan out to, to when they're 24, they're doing their thing in the way that you draft him to win. So it's yeah. it's an interesting conversation because you also look at like the flip side. Sometimes age doesn't matter when you're young. You look at Derek Barnett, who had three years starting experience, comes out in the draft when he's 21. He's already maxed out athletically. So you have to be okay with what he is athletically. He's kind of struggled in the pros. But I, th- I think what impressed me with Van, and, and maybe I'm making assumptions here, but it also impressed me with the quarterback from Notre Dame, uh, Troy Pride Jr. Oh, yeah, from- Troy Pride, yeah. Yeah, from from the north, who made himself a lot, a lot of money. Yes. So the the way I see it is, they really showed out here. But the way that Van would approach the game, and the way that I think Troy approached this whole week of practice, doing the film prep on the guys that you're going to be facing up against coming into the week, because Troy Pride was like reading the mind of these guys throughout the week. He was running the routes, but I think that's because he did the prep 
coming into it. And that's a fantastic sign for him. Mm. This is a business trip for him. Did the film prep on the guys he was going against that played against, you know, guys like Michael Pittman who had struggled against him because of the physicality and, and, and whatnot. And, and Troy went out there with a plan on how to attack each of these wide receivers, knew how to make them uncomfortable and knew the tips as far as their routes went. And that's why we saw him running so many of those routes. So not only do you have like the sticky man cover skills that you wanted to see from from an off-cover corner that was playing some zone and so on and so forth. You also saw the film prep coming into the week. At least that's my assumption. Other than that, I mean, if it's not film prep, well, then the guy is just, uh, pff, I don't know what to tell you. Like, he he, he sees the future. So it, it was really impressive from Dan knowing how to set these different corners up and from Troy Pride Jr. knowing these receivers' tendencies so he could jump all over these routes. And they made some money this week, so good for them. Defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I knew you talked about Proy or Troy. I almost said Proy tried. That's where <laughs> that's when a player's bad. That's when you mix it up. Yeah, <laughs> you talked about Troy Pride a little bit there. Anybody else on either team on the defensive side of the football really stand out to you? I felt like there were a lot of guys on defense that were positionless. You you want to mm. you like a couple of safeties who might be linebackers, a couple of linebackers that might be edge players, a couple of edge guys that might be linebackers. You know, like the, I I felt like there were so many positionless players from the Senior Bowl. Did any of those kinds of guys stand out for you? Yeah, cats or dogs, up is down, so on and so forth. Yeah, you but, really uh, you couldn't know. even tell at the beginning of the week. <laughs> Kyle Kyle Duggar, the the Lenore Ryan. Yeah, I like linebacker. him, man. He's awesome. Yeah, we. We don't know what he is, but we know he's going to run in the four fours and he's 220. He's going to jump 40 plus. So you look at his tape and you go, okay, of course he's like crushing these guys at the <laughs> level of competition that he's at. And that that's not a surprise at all. But when he comes to mobile and he actually shows that he has some chops and he's not like technically way behind the curve, I think it was really encouraging for him. I think you could still stick him at, you know, strong safety or whatever the case may be. So uh, I thought it was an excellent showing from him. And then, you know, from one of the lighter edge guys that people might thought, well, you have to move to weeks on linebacker or whatever the case may be. You know, Josh Uche from Michigan, who sure. had a ton of pressure and a ton of sacks in that game, along with Bradley and Nia from Utah. Yeah. You know, Uche, you, we, we talked about him on my show on, on BGN. But, I mean, the guy, the first step explosiveness that I saw from this guy. You know, at 240, which which is great. You know, it's a lighter weight, but we're going to talk about that in a second. But the first step reminded me of when D Ford was down in Mobile because it just it it jumps right off the tape. He's the first guy off the line, and he's chewing up ground as he gets into his second and third step, and it really gives tackles problems. And the thing about Uche that I really like: number one, he has the length; he's like near 80 inch in his wingspan. Number two, he knows that he cannot just rely on that speed rush. He is going to have to develop a secondary move. He's got the speed to power. You know, he's developing these different things. He's very self-aware when it comes to that. So he's not the most productive. I mean, the guy had seven sacks and I think mm, seven and right. a half sacks the next yeah. year, but he was also backing up a couple of years ago. He's backing up Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary. So you can kind of forgive him there. And sacks aren't everything. When you put on his tape, I think you see a lot of the same things. This is a guy that can threaten the arc. And then it can also have some inside counters as well. It's the type of guy where you're like, okay, maybe he's a nickel rusher situationally and whatnot while we develop some functional strength, but he's mm -hmm. got a frame that you can add mass onto. It's very intriguing. I think he did very well for himself. And then Bradley and I, the polish in his hands is really his moneymaker. I mean, he's got the full complement. His, his toolbox is, is full of different types of moves and, and the polish in his hands, technically sound, 
refined type as rusher had three sacks in the in the in the senior bowl game now we care less about the game than we do about the actual <laughs> right. practices right right it, it the, the guys he was going up against they had no chance but that's also because he's a very good player so he may have worked himself into you know like day two consideration when to be honest and i i, I hadn't done a whole lot of prep going into the week i barely knew who the guy was so he did well for himself so a couple of edge rushers that are super intriguing along with that that safety from lenore ryan that could just fly around the field i do like that though kind of like that point of view it's kind of funny because you know i'm scrambling to learn a lot about some of these guys they hadn't heard of you know working for the draft network year round kind of as college football goes on you know a lot of these names you've seen a lot of them in general but Part of me is jealous for for some of the people, maybe like yourself, who might not have had time to do it, maybe, maybe haven't even wanted to do it, just love going into the week with a complete clean slate and letting the whole week kind of determine what they think of these prospects as a baseline with them going forward. I think it's just it's an interesting point of view when you see some yeah. of those guys. A couple of tweener players that I really liked throughout the week, um, and I didn't really get to talk to them because we didn't get to do that, that Friday podcast. Zach Bond from Wisconsin is kind of in the same boat as Josh mm. Uche. Now, they let Uche rush the passer more than I think they let Bond rush the passer last week, but both of those guys I think could be highly productive. There's I think Uche wins with athleticism a lot. You know, we talked on your podcast about him winning with that speed to power. We went mm. into that pretty in pretty good detail. Bond wins with savviness, man. He mm. he just knows where that gap and open space is going to between be between the two offensive linemen that he's lined up against. He knows where that is. He's very slippery in how he's a pass rusher. I really like they've played him off ball as an off ball linebacker a lot. And maybe that is where he starts off in the NFL, but make sure whatever team drafts him, I hope they're still letting him get to the pocket because that's something that I think that he does really well. Marlon Davidson was the other. We only got to see him for one day. Yeah. But this is a 300-pound edge player for Auburn, but Auburn's defensive line is stacked with Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, Nick Cohen, um, Big Cat Bryan. Marlon, I think, is a three-tech in the NFL. I really mm-hmm. do. I think Marlon Davidson is a three-tech, and I think his explosiveness and how well he moves and can get off the ball would be really great for him. Um, anybody else that we did not mention that you just think deserves a big shout-out? Obviously, Javon Kinlaw had a hell of a week. Yeah. Um, it's it's it is hard to have a better week than him. Did you like the tight end, uh, Adam Troutman? Did you get to see a lot of him? I had two names. I had two names up, and you stole them. Oh, jeez. Oh, All gonna, right, was, well, was, talk to talk to the good people about <laughs> Troutman then. Talk to them about Troutman. Troutman, this guy from Dayton, have no idea who he is. You know, six five, two fifty one. I mean, the guy the guy come in comes in and he just separates and he, and he and he's doing it showing some really good route running chops. Like you always wonder about these like lower level competition prospects, like they're bigger, faster, and all that stuff. So they can kind of rely on that. Like that was the thing with Duggar that we were talking about before. But Troutman just seems to have a very developed game. And like he may have worked himself in, in, into like tight end one, tight end two, tight end three, like type of conversation. And I think like a, a weaker tight end class, if I'm not mistaken. So he made some serious money. And, and the question with Kinlaw that I had, I was actually going to ask you, Trevor. I was going to yes. throw it back at you with Kinlaw. Kinlaw had a dominant day one. And I think everyone there said, look, brother, you can shut it down if you want. Just say your hamstrings snagged or, you know, you know, whatever the case may be, you can walk right. away from this. Ends up picking up, I think it was like a thigh injury or something like that. And like the second day he does 
doesn't do so well, but it's like, whatever. We saw what he was capable of day one. We saw the, the, the film on him, which was dominant. I'm wondering, like, is it, is it Javon Kinlaw behind Derek Brown for sure? Because to me, Kinlaw offers the more pass rushing upside, the more dynamic profile when it comes to getting after the quarterback. Like Derek Brown, to me, kind of represents Dexter Lawrence, you know, plus basically. And I know Dexter Lawrence went 17th overall, and I thought that was a bit of a reach. And Dexter Lawrence maybe played a little bit better than I thought he would have in his first year because we just didn't see the production from him in college. And I was wondering if that was ever going to develop from him. I think Derek Brown's a little bit better of a pass rusher than that. But when you compare like Brown to Kinlaw, what, it, I think it comes down to what do you really value in your interior defensive lineman? Are you Dave Gettleman and you just want to stop the run? Or do you want to go get after the passer? And I think the conversation or at least the gap between Kinlaw and Derek Brown from Auburn yeah. is a little bit smaller than I think people are making it out to be. Yeah, no, I think that there's definitely some merit to that. I, I really do. Now, I, I, I Brown is ahead of Kinlaw for me, but I was saying this even a couple of weeks ago. Javon Kinlaw is not getting nearly the praise that he should. I just think because he's not DT1 or like IDL1 in this class, and people go, oh, okay, but Derek Brown's better. No, you should love both of these players for real. Now, I think that Derek Brown, he's going to get in a little bit of trouble early on in his NFL career because he plays with a high pad level a lot, a lot more than he should because he's that good. Because Derek Brown knows that even if I pop up a little bit early, I'm gonna beat you with my hands. I'm gonna beat you pushing back into the pocket. I can rip through, you know, like I'm gonna own any interior offensive lineman in college. It's not gonna be that easy in the NFL. So I do think that he might struggle a little bit early on, whereas Javon Kinlaw, I don't think might I don't know if he'll have those kinds of growing pains that Brown will. I still I still think that Brown has the higher ceiling, but if there's anything that Javon Kinlaw has done this year, and especially going to the Senior Bowl in the All-Star game, it's proved that he is a top 20 defensive tackle. It's not just Derrick Brown in this class. And in my mock, I had him going 14 overall to the Buccaneers, where I had Derrick Brown going 7 when the Lions traded back. So I think with those guys, they're so good, and they play such an important position. Everybody's searching for that Aaron Donald type impact on the interior or the Fletcher Cox or the, the old Dominican Sioux, whatever you want to call it, along the interior defensive line that these two are going to be coveted pretty heavily. Yeah. So uh, overall, very fun weekend mobile. Always good uh, chatting with Michael. Always good getting to watch the same prospects because I like his evaluation. I like how he looks at different guys. Like I said, he is uh, he's mainly an Eagles guy, but if you guys don't follow him on Twitter, you really should. What is it, is it Michael Kist NFL? Is that what it is? That's correct. K-I-S-T, like sun-kissed. Oh, yes, sir. wow. Just got to clarify it there. He's also got a uh, a beautiful a beautiful son that he sometimes posts content of that if you guys just want to make sure that you will never have a kid that cute in your life, go ahead and follow him, <laughs> if nothing else but for that. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for helping me out in Ben's absence, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Uh, ben, I hope you're doing okay, brother. Love you, man. Come back from Puerto Rico. Don't, don't, don't. Well, you know. He already it out. listen. We'll he already got out. beat up at the wedding itself. He got hit with a chair. That's the story. Get, I know he got WWE style. Every I, time I, I, I thought I was hearing Jim Ross in my ears, like the chair. You know, like when Ben gets hit and his face gets busted open. That's going to be one of those stories that every time you tell it, just gets worse and worse. Right, <laughs> more dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is very true. All right, everybody. 
Locked On NFL Draft Podcast is not going anywhere. I'm going to have guests on the rest of the week. We're going to be talking Senior Bowl. We're going to be talking mock drafts. We're going to be previewing the Combine. All kinds of good stuff. Until all then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.